0: So this morning in James chapter 1, we're actually only going to cover 18 verses this morning. I've plotted out the book of James. We have about 6 weeks to cover 5 chapters. I'm breaking chapter 1 and 2 into a couple portions, then we're going to hit 3, 4, and 5 in full sets. But this morning we're only doing 18 verses, so don't worry. If I take my time, you're still going to get to your Super Bowl party, okay? So we'll be good. But we're going to see three things in this in this section this morning. We're going to see trials, temperaments, and temptations. And so let's Let's take a look at verse 1 of James chapter 1. We'll see the greeting here. It says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greetings. So right off the bat, we want the context, and I love when we start a letter because you kind of get the who, what, when, where, and why. And so in this context here, what we're being told is that the author is James. <laughs> Now, it's funny, if you come into the Bible and you know a little bit about the New Testament, you're like, well, thanks for that helpful tip, James the author. There's four Jameses in the New Testament, and I'm not sure who this is, but when you start taking into account the different options that you have, I'll just tell you this. You can talk to me afterwards if you have questions on this, but I'll tell you this. It's this simple. The one that makes the most sense given the time of the letter, which is probably about 45 to 49 AD, it's not going to be James the, James the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, He's martyred, according to Acts 11, before this letter is written. James the Lesser, really, we don't know much about him. It would be kind of interesting to see him write this letter as if he's an authority in the church, but that doesn't totally rule him out until you start to consider James the brother of Jesus, who we believe wrote this letter because he was an elder in the church. He was an elder in that early church. We know that initially, he did not believe upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it's funny, we go, how is that possible? This is a half-brother of Jesus. You say, how is that possible? Through Mary and Joseph, but not God the Father. God the Father has one son, Jesus Christ, amen? But we are told in Scripture, specifically in Mark 6, 3, that they didn't initially believe upon him, that all these these brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, Mark 6, 3 says he has half-brothers and sisters, but John 7, 5 says they didn't initially believe. But see, here's the deal. Imagine, you're living your life, and here is this one, this brother, Jesus... And mom is saying, hey, he's the Messiah. <laughs> I don't know if you have any kind of sibling rivalry in your family, but when you got one that's being told, this is the Messiah, right? Now, you're like, that's gonna be a hard thing. Who left the refrigerator door open? No, I'm just kidding. There's no fridges back then. But you know, you're like, oh, we know it wasn't Jesus. Man, like, we, we kind of, man, you know, he's perfect, right? I don't know. I joke, but there's some things there that it's like, they didn't believe in him in, their nat- in the natural. it says after he resurrected we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 7 that a resurrected Christ appeared to James specifically and he became a pillar in the church according to Paul in Galatians 2 9 and we see that in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem council James is this guy that's making the decision of sorts, obviously prayerful by the Spirit with this whole council, but he's the one that gives word in Acts 15 to say, no, Gentiles can come on in and receive the Holy Spirit without becoming Jewish. They don't have to come to Moses before they come to Jesus. They can come right on in. He had an authority in that early church, and it makes most sense that this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, that's writing this. I think it's interesting, because you might have people in your life you're praying for this morning. (laughs) You're like, man, they'll never come to Jesus. (laughs) It's just so hard to believe that they'll repent, that they'll turn. These people lived in the same household as Jesus, and they didn't immediately believe. How many people have said, well, if God would just show up and reveal himself, I'd know who he is? Well, it's interesting. They're right there. Jesus was in their midst the whole time. But it's interesting, not until as 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says, when the risen Christ had revealed himself, everything changed. I hope that you haven't given up praying for those people in your life that you go, man, I don't know if they'll ever come to the Lord. They could become pillars in the faith, if you will. You know, everyone in here, someone was praying for you at some time. There was a work of the Lord that happened in your life and there was a season where people looked at you the way you might look at others and be like, they'll never come to the Lord. Trust me, there are people who won't come to this church because they knew me in the world, right? They're like, no, that can't be right that you're a pastor now. (laughs) I'm like, I get it. But here's the reality. When Jesus reveals himself for who he is, everything changes. (laughs) And here's a man who once did not believe is now writing scripture and he calls himself a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doulos in the Greek. A bondservant. A willing servant committed because he loves his master. This is wild to me because, I don't know, if I'm James, the brother of Jesus Christ, an elder in the church that's respected and revered, maybe I drop that in my greeting to get some respect. (laughs) He says, no, I'm an equal to the rest of you believers. (laughs) We're brothers in the Lord. I'm a bondservant of the Lord God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Humility. (laughs) This is so important. I love that this whole chapter begins with this because it calls us to realize it doesn't matter. The successes you may have in ministry, the name you may have in ministry or the following or anything else, if you get your eyes off the fact that you're a doulos bondservant of Jesus Christ, man, that's going to get messy. At every point, we need to remember, we have been saved by grace through faith. Amen? But see, it's interesting. It says in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. I think there's something that can happen as we come into the Lord, where we look at the world around us, and we understand the world is lost. The world is very dark. It's under the power of the prince of the power of the air, right? But there's sometimes even this thing that can happen to us as believers is we may be humble to other believers, but we're super proud in the face of the world. (laughs) And what I mean by that is like we're hesitant to bring the gospel because either we doubt that the Lord can save those people or we just think they're below the gospel. And maybe that's none of you in here. This isn't in my notes. So I have a feeling it's someone in here. And so, and by, okay, I'm gonna throw this out here. Rabbit trail, Okay everything broke this morning before we started service. Do you know what that means? The Lord has a work to do here today that the enemy doesn't want happening. I tell you that because I will say there is someone in here that needs this message. Maybe it's just me. You all are good. Maybe it's me that needs to get taught this morning. I can accept that. But I will tell you have ears to receive what we have this morning. Amen? Be humble, man. Seek the Lord. Remember that he saved you by grace and it's written by James, this bond servant, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And we go, what does that mean? Remember, we're talking somewhere between 49 to 50 AD. That puts us in a time where persecution was absolutely ramping up towards Jewish Christians. Jews in general were definitely running into persecution. We read in the book of Acts that Priscilla and Aquila are leaving their homeland, Italy, because there is the dispersion of the Jews that's occurring. Jews, get out of the country. We don't want you here. Christian Jewish people? Oh, now you're really a problem because not only are you Jewish, but you can't even get along with the Jews because you believe in this cultic figure Jesus in their minds and you have gone outside of this whole thing of waiting for the Messiah. We don't think he's come yet. Jesus Christ died on a cross, they would say. But you see, they didn't understand that Isaiah 53, 5, it said that the Messiah, he would be bruised for our iniquities. He would be wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace would be upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And they said, well, maybe there's two messiahs. Maybe there's this pathetic suffering messiah, and there's another ruling and reigning messiah coming. (laughs) Can I tell you the same Jesus who came to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world is that Lion of Judah that's going to come, and he's going to rule and reign. And he did it perfectly the first time. He fulfilled it. He is worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our faith. He is going to come again. Are we ready for him? (laughs) And see, those Jewish Christians that believed in Christ, man, they were dispersed. Though they were part of those 12 tribes that are listed. You can go and get the list in 1 Chronicles 2, 1 and 2. There's a whole list there. You have all of the tribes. And it says they had those backgrounds. They're Jewish people and they've been dispersed. And he's writing to them. And they've been dispersed because, again, persecution. They've been outcasted. And so James is writing this to them, but it doesn't mean that it's just for Jewish Christians. Because you might say, well, wait a minute, he's writing to just the 12 tribes. We, the church, can now put this book away, remove it from canon, we don't need it. Where were the Jewish Christians, where were they fellowshipping? They were fellowshipping, intermingling in these Gentile regions Though the church was early, there were Gentiles starting to come to faith and they were all intermingling. That's what led to the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. So if James says, I'm writing this to you guys who are scattered, the church that scattered the Jewish Christians This doesn't just apply to you. It applies to everyone that's gathering in the church, whether they be Jew or Gentile. As Paul said in Ephesians 3.6, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So I bring that up because, again, in common day, modern day, there are people that do not want this book of James in the canon of Scripture for two reasons. They say, oh, that's for Jewish Christians. That's not for us. We don't divide the church that way. (laughs) We understand that there is a group that he's writing to, but they're intermingled with the rest of the church. If the Jewish Christian is to observe these things, then why wouldn't the Gentile Christian need to observe them as well? There's no law things that pertain. There's no sacrifices that are here. Christ has been sacrificed once and for all, according to Hebrews 10.10. Amen? This isn't like there's a Jewish code and a Gentile code at this point. It is for all you. But also, people want to remove this book. Because I go, man, it relies, it talks so much about works. It talks so much about behavior. I'm sorry, but if you have a faith that doesn't affect your behavior, you don't have a faith. It's true. Whatever you believe, you walk accordingly if you really believe it, don't you? You stop at a red light because you believe that there's a green light and people are going to fly through that intersection. I believe that, therefore I'll bet. If you don't believe it, just go through, but you're going to learn real quick. There's a reason these things are here, and it's, it's there. There's rules like gravity, I've told you guys. You believe in gravity. That's why you stay away from the edge of tall buildings. <laughs> I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ dying in my place but giving me new life to raise me into his glory eventually. But for now, sanctification. <laughs> Though I have been justified by faith, I am being sanctified by faith as I walk in obedience to the word of God, yielding to the spirit, not to the flesh, as Galatians 5.16 calls us to do. So it works well with all the Pauline doctrine. It complements together. But again here, this book is going to tell us there should be fruit coming out of our faith. You're not saved by the fruit. You're saved by the faith, but that saving faith produces sincere fruit. You're gonna see that come out. And you say, Well, who said that? Jesus. John 15 5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. You say, What about those people that say they belong to you, but they're not really? How will we know them? Jesus said, Matthew 7 16, he said, You'll know them by their fruits. Someone told me a long time ago, you can be a fruit inspector. You can be able to say, all right, you tell me that you believe in Jesus. You tell me you belong to Jesus. What does that look like in your life? People accuse the church of being hypocrites. That's usually because we don't have the fruit coming out of our life that should be there. You say, what fruit? We're just good little boys and girls? No, yielding to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is doing the work in us, producing love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the things that are coming out of us because we're simply abiding in Jesus and walking in close fellowship to him. Amen? That's what we have here. Look at verse two through four. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All right, do we need a show of hands of who's enduring trials right now? (laughs) To some extent, I have to believe you live in a fallen world (laughs) with just chaos around us in general. And until the Lord calls us to be with him, There's a reality that in this world there will be tribulation. There is going to be trials. And you may come in this morning and say, man, I am just getting beat down by what's here. Let me tell you, I love that first of all, James says, my brethren. (laughs) Again, camaraderie in the faith. We're equals. Don't think that, James would say, don't think I don't go through trials. We all go through trials here. All of us have endured these things. He says, but count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I like the word fall. (laughs) None of us have planned trials, have we? I can't wait to calculate my next trial. (laughs) You don't do that. You fall into these trials, and you go, man, this is the the, the reality of living in this fallen world. But he says to count it. Hegeomai, in the Greek, it means consider, deem, or think. This is a mindset and an attitude. There's going to be trials. When they occur and you fall into them, in this case, we're talking about external trials. We're going to talk, talk about internal temptation in a minute. We're talking about adversities externally, afflictions, troubles, persecution. Remember who James is writing to. Right away, he says, I know you guys are dispersed. He says, and when you're experiencing trials, you need to count it all joy. <laughs> That's a hard word. When you know people are suffering persecution, you not like, count it all joy. Let me tell you what James didn't say. You should be so excited that you're just enduring persecution. What a blessing. Persecution, all right, right? No. Persecution's a trial. But you need to understand that you can count it as joy because here's the reality. These things are allowed by God, intended to test and reveal one's character, faith, or holiness, according to the Greek lexicon. (laughs) These things are here to reveal and prove that while you're suffering, you have something you can still rejoice in that goes beyond the temporal trial. (laughs) See, it's funny. We've talked about this, and I'm going to hit it again. American Christianity, when they hear joy, they replace that word with happiness. Oh, you know what? Everything's happiness. That's what joy is. Joy is not happiness. (laughs) Happiness is a fading emotion that is based on tangible things temporarily. (laughs) Let me tell you, joy... Joy, the, the salvation in the Lord, that is our joy, amen? That this temporal world, though it's passing away, I have a hope in eternity because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that won't change no matter what occurs in this fallen world, amen? The thing that is here is serving to test that faith, that I may have joy during the trial. And see, Jesus said in John 16, He told his disciples, he said, these things I have spoken to you. He says that in me, you may have peace. He said, in this world, promise of God right here, okay? In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. (laughs) The prosperity gospel wants to say, if you have enough faith, you'll never go through tribulation. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus lived, amen? That's not what Paul lived. That's not what Paul said, the prosperity gospel believes in happiness is joy that prosperity that riches is joy our joy is in a kingdom that is far beyond this temporal world (laughs) and it has come down in the form of flesh in jesus christ who died in our place and rose again to prove that it is true but we're told in verse 3 we have joy knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience I love this, one of my favorite Bible teachers, David Guzik, my man, he's the next guy I'm trying to get here on a Wednesday night, okay? So we're stepping stone, we're working, okay? We're working towards Guzik, but here's the deal. (laughs) David Guzik, I love, he always says, he said, patience, we think about patience as like the patience you need to just not get mad at a red light or sitting in a waiting room. But that's just like passive patience. That's like, I, I'm just going to sit here. I have to be like polite and stuff. This word here, it's hupomone that they're using for patience. This is like an endurance perseverance. This is the kind of patience that you need in a marathon. <laughs> you don't just stand at the, at the starting line and go, cool, I'll just patiently wait till the race is over and i have finished it. No, you have like 26 point something miles. I don't know, I've never run a marathon, God forbid. But if, you, if you're crazy and you run marathons, you know those numbers. I only run when something's chasing me, generally speaking. But if, you, if you're going, you have to keep moving, do you not? I've heard, I haven't experienced it, I've heard of the runner's high that comes later in the race. You don't get that immediately. You have to push to get there. But even that, that can fade. And now you have to push through the pain. You have to push through the suffering. Why is that? Because there's a finish line that you're trying to get to. Hebrews 12 tells us about this. Talks about the fact that, man, there is a a race that you want to finish. Lay aside all these things that weigh you down and, man, endure. Seek after the Lord with the joy that he's going to finish the race. It's his victory, amen? We just got to walk in it. Jesus has done the work. But see, it's not just passively waiting. It's actively engaging. And this word for testing is dokimo, no, dokimenion. I don't know, that was close probably. Trust me, it's a Greek word. But it's used also in 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, You have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested, same word, by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These trials that the Lord is allowing is testing the fact that is your faith really worth trusting in? (laughs) There are many things we say we believe, but when man, when the fire comes and the rubber meets the road, is it worthy of your trust? I love Warren Wiersbe once said, he said, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Everyone wants to trust in the Lord without going through trials. (laughs) You gotta have that thing tested. You have to have it tempered. You have to have it refined. As Peter says, your faith is like fine gold that goes in and out of fire <laughs> who loves going in and out of fires <laughs> if the gold could scream it would <laughs> but yet you put it back in over and over I've, I've read this before i think it was weirsby that told this before he said that the goldsmith would put that in to get the dross off of it and he would do that until that gold ring actually reflected the goldsmith Man, that the Lord would put us in that fire to get some of that drawstring, put us back in, pull us out until we reflect Jesus, <laughs> until we look more like our Lord. Because remember, Jesus—he endured the shame of the cross, rejection of this world, all for the joy that was set before him, according to Hebrews twelve two. He endured it with joy. But he understood there was a kingdom ahead, and this is what we need to be doing, trusting in the promised word of Jesus. And see again, verse 4. It says that the believer develops a stronger faith by patiently enduring these unexpected trials because we're letting patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. As you endure these things, they're actually working to make you more perfect. <laughs> Don't think that means you're already perfect. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm perfect, but I'm getting more perfect. In the eyes of the Lord, you're already, let's be clear, you've been sanctified in the sense that you're going to be glorified someday. Amen? But right now, there is a practical sanctification that's happening where the Lord says, man, I'm going to, are some, some things I think. Here's something I'm just going to take from you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it from you. This is a trial of sorts. I'm going to allow something that's hard, that's going to make you have to go, man, what am I trusting in? Those, to me, those are the two things. When either the Lord allows something to be taken away or he allows something to buffet us, we would say, like Paul experienced in 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, Paul cried out to the Lord three times for that thorn that was in the flesh. And what did the Lord say? He said, my grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> when we are weak, we can call upon him and we see that he's the strong one. It's not about me. <laughs> what are you trusting in today when everything hits the fan, so to speak? <laughs> when everything goes wrong, who do you trust in? Can you say, man, because of the thing I trust in, I can have joy today. I will tell you, there is nothing else. I will say it, nothing else besides the Lord Jesus Christ that will bring you joy in the midst of you losing something or having to deal with something that is tormenting. Christ alone. And I'll tell you, if there's someone in here that says, man, I don't know, I feel like I'm all right because I got enough in the savings. I don't know, I got my house, I got my grandkids or my kids, I got these things, I'm doing all right without Jesus. Let me just tell you, you know the emptiness that comes from these things. You know the fear that comes that if anyone would take those things away. I think it's interesting in the Old Testament when someone takes someone's false idol, they steal their God and they're all sad and crying about it. I serve a God that no one can steal from me. I serve a God that no one can take away and no trial will change. He is unchanging. He is good. That can't be said about anything else in this ever-changing, ever-fading temporal world. And so when you're going through these things, I'll tell you, you say, well, it's working to perfect me, to complete me. Do you know what else does that according to the word? <laughs> the word of God. <laughs> Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it offers the same benefits. It says that, that the word of God is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. <laughs> See, the Lord has good works for you to walk in. He has a purpose for your life. We all understand that, right? Ephesians 2.10 type stuff. The Lord knit you in the womb, saying, I have a plan for that life. But I need you to understand, it's not going to come as you oppose the word of God. You're gonna fight him until your dying day. You're not gonna know that plan. You're not going to live in that planet. As a matter of fact, if you reject Jesus Christ until your dying death, there is eternal separation from the God who created you in a literal true hell. I heard we might have some visitors today, so I'm just going to lay out what we do here on Sunday mornings, okay? We talk about sin. We talk about hell. Amen? That's it. It's in Scripture. Jesus talked about it. But here's the reality. You say, I have these things the Lord's called me to do. How do I know what to do? Seek the Lord for wisdom. Seek His word for guidance. When you're in the word, there is a trust that comes. (laughs) A faith that is built, we say it all the time, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. When you are seeking the word of God and you're in it, though you're already saved, that faith is growing stronger and stronger because it is revealing who God is. You start to understand the character of God who saves, who delivers, who provides, who sustains his people who trust in him. And see, you set your mind upon the Lord, man, he's going to take care of you. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. He's going to give you the wisdom that you need. Look at verse 5 through 8. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So James here is exhorting the believer, go and seek God for wisdom. He's talking about persecution and trials, and we don't have the answers for those things in and of ourselves. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, according to John 16, I believe it is. And then we have the word of God that's equipping us. That word of God that we're told to have like a sword in Ephesians 6. That we're in it and that we're feeding upon it. That we'll be like that tree planted by the river. But you'll be, if you're lacking something, (laughs) if you're lacking something, it begins with coming to the Lord and saying, give me wisdom. Because anything else that you have, if you don't have the wisdom of God you're going to do that thing wrongly. (laughs) You're going to use that thing wrongly. We'll talk about possessions and resources in a little bit. If you have a bunch of resources that the Lord has stewarded you with, but you don't have the wisdom of God, you can really mess that up. But if you're seeking the Lord in every decision, in every moment, man, it's amazing the, the things that the Lord guides us away from and the blessings that he guides us into. And let me be clear, I'm not talking necessarily about financial things. I'm telling you about just the Lord's goodness to protect you from destruction when he says, come and follow my word. I love you. Parents, you know how this goes. You don't tell your kids not to play in the street because you're such a mean person. It's because there's cars that can destroy them. The Lord says, don't do these things. But you know what you should do? Do these things. You'll be blessed by them. I will be glorified and you will become a testimony to everyone around you. Solomon, though he was younger at the time, he eventually would have everything in his power and everything in his control, be the richest man on the planet at one point. And he asked the Lord, he said in 1 Kings 3.9, he said, give to your servant an understanding heart, wisdom that I may be able to discern between good and evil. Money won't do that for you power won't do that for you. As a matter of fact, those things can mess up (laughs) wisdom. (laughs) But the Lord is pure. And he'll give you wisdom to guide you, to lead you through the trial as you're seeking him for whatever you need. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. (laughs) Acknowledge him for who he is in all your ways, and he shall direct your path. You can't direct your own path. (laughs) You can try to lay out your things, but the Lord directs the steps. I think it's Proverbs sixteen nine. You think you know where you're going. It's funny. How many of us wound up here in Texas knowing exactly the way we would get here? You had a general idea. The Lord said, this is where I'm leading you. But all the way. You didn't know the timetable. You didn't know where the job was coming from, maybe. You didn't know that where your church was going to be. You didn't know. This church wasn't even here. This three, three years ago, this week, by the way, that we planted this church. That's crazy to me. And we didn't know what this would look like. Word, this should scare you a little bit, maybe. We trust the Lord, but we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we teach the word, and we, we, we seek the Lord week by week, amen? This is, I think, to some extent, what it should look like. <laughs> and it's amazing. Can any of us take credit for what the Lord is doing here? It's his wisdom, it's his glory. I, have no, I had no idea that how this would work out. You had no idea what your life would look like here, but the Lord in his goodness, he sustained you. He led you as you sought Him. He spoke to you. The Lord is faithful to give that. But there's a clause in verse 6 that James throws out there. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. And it uses this Greek word, diokrino. It means to waver, to hesitate. In other words, there's a sense in this word that is also like skepticism. See, it's interesting. I think many people will will doubt that the Lord is actually willing or able to to give what they need. I mean, imagine. You have a disease and I know there's a doctor up the street that can heal you. You go, well, I don't know. I don't really like doctors, man. But he has the solution. Uh, I'm kind of skeptical. They're not going to walk into the office. But if I show them, no, I had that disease and the Lord, that doctor has healed me. Come with, I'm going to drive you there. Come on. Anything I can do. But they say, no, I don't believe you. Do you believe their prayers <laughs> to be healed are going to be answered they don't go see the doctor? <laughs> they don't believe in the doctor. They don't believe it's the solution. In this case, this answers, I believe, the skeptic that says, well, I don't know, man. I've prayed for, you know, good health and I've prayed for a big house and God doesn't answer any of that. Well, first of all, <laughs> I believe you're praying amiss, according to James 4.3. You're praying so that you can spend things on your pleasures in your flesh. <laughs> Secondly, you don't walk in obedience to the things of God. And I'm not talking about perfect obedience, but in submission that he is who he says he is. If you don't believe that God is God, you're falling short of Hebrews 11.6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. (laughs) Now, when you show up and you say, Well, I'll pray, I'll go through the motions, but I'm going to doubt and I'm going to be like a wave in the sea driven and tossed all over. That's not a good description. (laughs) You don't want that for your life. Who wants to be a wave in a sea being tossed and thrown around everywhere? That's what you are if you're not seeking the wisdom of God by faith. You might have come in here this morning feeling like a wave (laughs) that is going thrown all over the sea. I would tell you, Who are you seeking? And what are you asking for? Are you asking in faith? Are you asking according to his word? Are you asking because you belong to him? Or are you asking because you think he's a genie? (laughs) We have a genie complex in America. I will call on God when things get difficult and I need my three wishes. After that, he's no longer God. I'm God, I'm Lord. I'll maybe need a savior sometimes, but I don't need a Lord or a God. That's not the faith that that we're required to bring. (laughs) The faith we're required to bring is that he's not only our Savior, he's also our Lord. He's also our God. We've said it before, everyone wants a Savior, but no one wants a Lord. (laughs) This means that you have to come and trust him for who he is. And in verse 7 it says, don't suppose that that person that's wavering, that's doubting, that's skeptical, don't think he's going to receive anything. It says in verse 8, he's double-minded, he's unstable. (laughs) His faith is not stable. His belief system in who the Lord is is not strong. He's doubting this. Now it's interesting because I believe that when the Lord, we're told specifically, I think it's Psalm thirty-seven. For delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Can I tell you what happens when you come to the Lord, though? He gives you a new heart. If you're coming to the Lord and you're praying for a bunch of carnal, fleshly garbage, the Lord's like, "What? That's that's not who I am. It's not what I've called you to." But yet when my heart changes because of the work of the Holy Spirit in that heart of stone, as Ezekiel 36, 26 would say, becomes a heart of flesh in a good way, soft and supple, ready to receive the things of the Lord. And so yeah, start praying for the things of the Lord. Let me give you a real simple example in my life. I would do anything to never have to go to church again before I came to Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was a place of condemnation and conviction for me. I come to the Lord, and now I'm planting a church? That makes no sense. This must be a new creation thing that's happening here. It must be a new heart that is aligned with the God who I now serve. And it's interesting, the things I'm praying for, you know who's leading me to pray in those things according to the word of God? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is praying, leading us, guiding us into all truth that we would pray according to his will. His will, is, as we pray for it, he's gonna say, I can do that. <laughs> You start getting out of the will of God, you start praying for things that don't belong to his will, we're slipping back into the flesh. But we need to come back and go, Lord, because you're good, I'm gonna pray and trust you in any circumstance here. I don't even know how you're gonna make this work, Lord, but I trust you. Give me the wisdom that I need to be able to endure this thing. Give me the wisdom, the discernment, to be able to stand for truth, to live uprightly in this. And I think it's interesting. <laughs> Jesus said in John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. <laughs> People take that and go, again, cool, so he's just the genie. No, 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 are you abiding in him? Are you, is your very life found in Jesus Christ? Are you abiding in him and trusting that as you pray, whatever the Lord would have, his will be done, not your will, amen? Jesus not only said this, Jesus lived it. In the garden, he prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He said, but nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. Can we pray with that with joy, knowing that even if it's the cross of sorts that lays ahead, that the Lord is in control and he's worthy. He's worthy of my praise, worthy of my adoration. He has the wisdom that I need. Amen? Look at verse 9 through 11. We see some temperaments here. Again, we're only going to 18 today. Look at 9 through 11. It says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So that's a pretty sobering reminder, like welcome to church this morning, right? These are one of those ones where we're like, man, that's a heavy word, James. We're talking about just things, perishing, the beauty of this world just going away, the things that we trust in, but this is important. Because first he addresses the lowly brother. He says, your lowly brother who's suffering, potentially, given the context, Suffering in, in, in these temporal financial things because you're being persecuted. Hard to get a job when no one even wants you in the land, right? When they're telling you to get lost, get dispersed, and you're suffering. And he says, look, here's the deal. You should glory in your, exaltate, in your coming exaltation. <laughs> what does that mean? These temporal things of suffering, persecution, financial issues, anything else that you may say, this is a hard thing right now. Do you know that there's a day where the Lord's going to take the humble and He's going to exalt by giving us that glorification in eternity? First Peter tells us that. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, but in due time He's going to exalt us. There's exaltation that comes, and though you may suffer right now and think, man, this is really difficult, this is really hard, I'm exhausted, tired, beaten down, He says, no, don't worry. There's a day coming when all of this thing is going away. And you're going to be in the presence I love. I believe it's Revelation 21 or 22. It says there's not going to even be a need for the sun in heaven in the new kingdom. You know why? Because Jesus the lamb is going to be the light. (laughs) You're going to be with him. You're going to be with him for eternity and all those things that you suffered now as you continue to endure them and shows that, man, that is a true reality. That God delivered me in that trial over there. He stayed faithful to his word. God delivered me in this trial over here. He stayed faithful. I can trust that he will be faithful in eternity to bring to fruition that crown of life that he promises to those who love him. Amen. All these little things are strengthening our faith to go, man, he said it. He honors his word above his name, according to Psalm 138.2. And if he honors his word above his name, I can trust that eternity awaits because of the work of Jesus Christ. And man, if I keep my eyes on that, man, even as I'm lowly here, there's something better coming. But he says in verse 10, the rich, in the Greek, plousias means specifically the wealthy or abounding in material resources. So we're talking about financial, earthly things. He says the rich, what they're going to be glorifying in really, they're going to be glorified in humiliation. Like, what does that mean? I think there's two ways to apply this. First of all, if you're a believer and you've been stewarded material things and you have those things, those are a blessing. There's nothing wrong with riches themselves. But when your possessions possess you, that's when they become a problem, amen? (laughs) See, we're told in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some in their greediness have strayed from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jesus, at one point, being somewhat comical, said it's easier, right? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know why that is? (laughs) You're tempted to trust in your riches. You think you can buy anything, that you're secure forever, and that nothing truly is going to really harm you because you have your riches. Now, if you're a believer, you should be able to have these things and use them to the glory of God, but not trust in them. (laughs) There were many rich people in Scripture, amen? I I will tell you personally, I don't think it's the rule. I haven't seen that in the church. I don't think it's a rule. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel that if you come to Jesus, you're just going to have your mansion and your rocket car and win the lottery and have billions of dollars. I don't think that's what Jesus called us to. But praise the Lord. If you have resources, use them unto God. Glorify Him with them. But you should have an attitude that says me and the lowly brother, financially speaking, in this temporal world, we're equals because we're both going to enter the kingdom with the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. All the things that are here, guess where they're going? Going to burn. And we think that that's just a cute saying. You know it actually says that in 1 John 2, 15-17, right? This whole world is passing away and all the lust of it, everything's going to burn away. We see it come to fruition prophetically in Revelation. Everything's going to pass away. The new heaven, new earth's coming. And see, now the unbeliever, wealthy person, they would say, well, look at me. I have all these things. I don't need God. There's no humiliation. There's no hu- humility there, I should say. Where the wealthy believer has a humility that says I'm equals with my brother who's in a lowly position or condition. But see, one day, there is gonna be a humiliation that comes. People that have trusted in all of the wrong things, doesn't matter how much money you buy, you can't buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> the only thing that'll buy you into that is the, that precious blood of Jesus Christ, amen? See, money perverts things. It blinds you from things. You go, I have money. I have my house. I have my family. I have my health. I have all these things. It's great. You can't escape the fact. I love John Walford, the commentator, said this human frailty. At some point, your body's gonna begin to give out. It doesn't matter how good of a plastic surgeon you have, okay, at some point, by rapture or by rupture, as our friend Pastor Jack would say. Our friend, I can say that now, yeah, it's cool. Um, no, it's funny, I don't feel like I'm stealing from him as much anymore. It's like, ah, it's handshake agreement. I can say rapture by rupture, okay? Um, rapture or by rupture, we're gonna be with the Lord, amen? Everyone is gonna have to stand before the Lord. And every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. If you trust in all the wrong things, there's this great white throne judgment that's coming where you're going to have to answer by your works. And no one gets in by their works. But when you trust in Jesus Christ, you get in because of what Jesus has done by his work. Now you've lived, you live responding to that and you walk in these things that glorify him. There's this Bema seat judgment of 2 Corinthians 5. And he says, that's the place of reward. This is the place where you come in and you have those crowns. And the things that were done with the wrong motives, they're going to burn away. But the things that were done well, they're going to be purified and they're going to be precious jewels and gold. But that's not a salvation judgment. The salvation is found in Jesus Christ, amen? But we all have a responsibility. No, we're going to stand before the Lord. We should live in a humility that says, man, I trust in the Lord and my hope is in a world beyond this temporal world. And see, in verse 11, it says, For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Man, that blows my mind. (laughs) Think about how busy people are pursuits. They're just chasing the wind, if you will. They're pursuing anything that they think that will satisfy them and give them pleasure and happiness. Their fake joy that they're chasing today. But do you know if they don't trust in Jesus Christ, it's all going to perish. It's all going away. <laughs> And see, this is why it's so important to know. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where are you investing this morning? Where are you trusting this morning? (laughs) Are you seeking the Lord's wisdom on how to live your life and is it producing this this lifestyle where people on the outside look and go, man, that guy's crazy. That woman's crazy. They're living for this whole other world. And yet meanwhile, they're suffering. They're miserable because the things they're investing in, pursuing, chasing down, it can't fulfill. (laughs) Don't be tempted to chase after the things of the world. Can I tell you, we live for a kingdom where it's not going to fade away. You might need a reminder that today is going to be one of the most materialistic days in America. Super Bowl. (laughs) I told you guys, I'm a marketing guy. I used to love the Super Bowl for the new ads. I would love to study the angles of these ads and everything they would do. The whole thing is just this big ploy to get you to buy whatever they're selling. They believe that if they tell you, you get this, you'll be happy. And if you buy it, we'll be happy because we're going to get what we need money. All of it is fading. When was the last time you finally got that thing you thought would make you happy and it actually succeeded to make you happy? Seriously, think of the things that are in your garage that you thought would solve your life problems 10 years ago. (laughs) We move a lot and we're always like, why do we still have this thing, right? We thought at one point this was gonna be the problem solution, right? The solution to the problem. That's what marketing does. They sell you everything as the solution to your problem. The world is telling you, follow your heart, the most garbage gospel that ever existed. Your heart is deceptive and deceitful above all other things, according to Jeremiah 17.9. That is not the wisdom of God. Your heart, you need a transplant. You need the work of the Holy Spirit. You get that new heart, you follow the Lord, you seek his wisdom, you're going to do good things. Do not follow your heart. Following your heart results in things like adultery murder. We're yielding to the, to the Lord. That's going to reduce that, 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 that wrath of man that pours out of you. Because <laughs> the Lord leads you into gentleness, goodness, good things. But I'll just tell you, there's nothing in this world that will fulfill you. But look at 12 through 15. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. (laughs) So in this section... And we're getting, again, welcome to church. We're talking about this, just flowers going away, things burning up. We're talking about death that comes out of sin. What a fun book. I love this. So temptations, right? We talked about trials in the first section, external things, persecution whatnot, right? The things of this fallen world. But now... We're talking about the idea of temptation in an internal sense because we're dealing with sin. The idea that God doesn't gonna tempt you by evil because he's not evil. He has no evil in him. He's not the one that does this. Your flesh leads you to do these things that cause death. See, we're not talking about oopsies, I ran into persecution that caused death. This is internal things that, man, you went after these things. You sought these things, and they destroyed you. But this is why blessed is the man who endures. Again, that same idea of persevering, enduring temptation to steadfastly withstand those things that our flesh desire, those things that oppose the word of God, that oppose the things he's calling us into. And see, it's interesting here, because when you've been approved... So when God's you've been approved to God <laughs> you're already belong to God but it's being proved is probably a better word here Be, when you've been tested when you've been tried when you've been made perfect through enduring these things you're going to receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him this is the idea that because I belong to Jesus I'm not going to do the easy thing do you know what the easiest way to get rid of temptation in your life is you know what it is just give in <laughs> That's usually most of our fleshly solution. Think about it. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, do not say that thing you're about to say, right? You're like, oh, and you're biting your tongue. You're like, i just say it, then I can move on. Blah, and you're like, why did I say that, right? Because it seems like the easiest way to get around this thing. Whatever the temptation might be, you're like, look it, it'll just take a second. Let's just participate in this thing, then we can move on. You're never going to be victorious over temptation. I remember Pastor Chuck saying one time, he says, You're not going to move on to second grade until you pass the test in first grade. <laughs> and if you keep failing the first grade test, you're going to keep getting the same test until you can pass it. And this is the reality. You go, Oh, if I just partake of this temptation right now to go away and I can move on, that same temptation is going to come back and it's going to grow even bigger. It's going to demand more of you. <laughs> and see, this is what's so interesting. The Lord desires that you would have this crown of life in eternity. But Satan wants to do anything, your flesh, your wicked heart, as we said. The things of this world, they're all calling to distract and pull us away from what the Lord has for us. And see, that's why in verse 13 it says, don't say that God is the one tempting you. (laughs) Do you know how many times I've had people tell me, I don't know why God would do this to me. Like, do what? Make me commit adultery. Are you crazy? He shouldn't have put me in that workplace next to that person. All right, you're out of your mind. This is not God's problem, man. This is your problem. Amen? Amen. We love the scapegoat mentality. It's always someone else's fault. It's never me. It's a pride issue. <laughs> Oh, I'm good. I don't need anything. No, you need, again, you need a heart change. <laughs> you need a new heart, and you need to yield to the wisdom of God. But when you're tempted, and you actually go and partake in these things, can I tell you what it says? What Who is actually to blame here? It says in verse 14, it says, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You've played you. Don't blame God on your sin. <laughs> Your temptation, the temptation that came... You were enticed and drawn away. The word drawn away in the Greek has to do with actually luring like a fishing line. I don't fish, I've told you guys. I don't even know if these are the right terms. But you put the thing that looks like the thing on the line, you throw it in the water, and you trick trick the big yellow bass, mouth, fish thing, whatever. There's different fish, right? Do you know that when you go to Bass Pro, you can tell them, I'm trying to catch this specific fish. And they'll say, don't use that bait. Use this bait right here. They bite that one every time. Do you know that there's a prince of power of the air? He knows what bait you're going to bite. <laughs> and see, when he drops that in the water in front of you, <laughs> you have the moment. Oh man, I can't believe God is doing this to me. God is allowing such things. But do you know that 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that not only does God not, uh, not like, tempt you, he actually makes the way of escape so that you don't have to partake. Don't blame God that you sin. You know what? You should praise God that he gave you a way out. <laughs> he is so good that he says, I'm not the one dangling this thing in front of you. I'm giving you a way to go. Don't bite it. Don't partake. And see, James says, when you go and you bite of this thing in verse 15, he says, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, I imagine like a big old giant monster sin, right? When it's full grown, it brings forth death. I think it's interesting. We think sin is something we can play with when it's a little tiny little infant baby sin. <laughs> but do you know that those sins grow into these monstrous things that are eventually going to bring death? How many times we're like, "No, it's okay. I can handle this thing. I can still have my pet sin over here and be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ." That's going to bring destruction. Get that thing out of your life, amen. You're like, "It's my wife." I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. Don't get divorced. No, you know what I mean. Remember, it's your issue. It's your sin. <laughs> You need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, show me, give me your wisdom. Uh, Okay, let's go with it. Thank you, Lord. All right, here we go. (laughs) You might be in the room and be like, I got some things that I shouldn't be looking at. We're not going to get specific because this is a mixed crowd right now, but you use your imagination. I can't go without internet. I can't cut the internet off of my house. You don't care enough about your sin. (laughs) You go, I can't put guards on all of my stuff. People think weird things about me. Well, you're a sinner. Get rid of that stuff. You might say, you're being a legalist. That thing's going to destroy you. That might not be for anyone in here but one person. I will tell you, if your heart's jumping out of your chest right now, repent, but the Lord is good. (laughs) It's not in my notes. Not something I even like talking about in a room of mixed mixed multitude. But I'll tell you, there is a problem in this nation. And much of it is because men won't be men and do men things and they won't cut off sin from their life. I'll tell you, men, women... (laughs) the Lord's showing you something, says get it out, get that out of your life, amen? It's as simple as that. We'll keep it very PG for what we're talking about. But it's interesting. Do you know the sequence that James gives here? It reminds me of a saying one of my old pastors used to say this. He would say, when we allow our thoughts to stay there, to be in our mind, just let them hang out, you know what they're eventually going to become? They're going to become an action. If you commit the action, you continue to walk in that, that action is going to create a habit. If you allow that habit to exist, that habit's going to become a character. That character eventually is going to become a destiny. You know what James says the destiny is of sin? Death. You need to hear this this morning. There are people telling you that, hey, look at grace, grace, grace. We understand that. But we stop talking about sanctification. We stop talking about the consequences of sin that even the believer can know if you want to walk opposed to the word of God. But God says, don't do that. I'm giving you a way out of having to suffer these things and in a way where you can get blessed instead and glorify me and be a testimony to the world. But sin is so deceptive. Houses, families are broken because it starts with a thought. And see, 1 Peter 1.13 says, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to do work. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. And Romans 12, too, calls us to be con- not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You don't only need a new heart, <laughs> you need a new mind. <laughs> and you know who can give that to you? <laughs> the Lord God, through the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit. Amen? Look how we end today, 16 through 18. It says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. <laughs> Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. <laughs> what does the Lord desire for us? First of all, James says, do not be deceived. I don't think I could have planned that better. Pastor Jack's book that he was talking about the other night, Living in the Days of Deceptions, D-A-Z-E, right? That days of deception. This world is desiring to deceive us by telling us all kinds of garbage. Telling us that things like the world is heating up and it's going to explode. Can I tell you I'm not worried because Jesus Christ has to come and rule and reign and it says it's a thousand years. I'm not real worried about the the, the earth catching on fire. Is it going to burn? It sure is going to burn. But I'm not worried about next year. (laughs) I have a trust in Jesus Christ, but now if I don't have Jesus, I'm pretty worried about the world exploding and getting on fire. But when you have Jesus, these things go out the window. (laughs) It's funny. When you don't have Jesus... You start to say, look, we're all just a bunch of animals that have evolved. Who cares? Just do whatever you want, whatever feels good. You have been made in the image of God according to the word of God. And the Lord says, I desire for you to know that you are are a blessing, something that the Lord desires. He loves you. He says, don't be deceived. The world is trying to trick you. Don't buy into those things. He says, and those that are trying to deceive you, it's because that's their nature. Satan, this fallen world, your flesh, the heart, deceptive above all things, amen? Deceitful. He says, those are deceptive, but do you know who's not deceptive? It says, the one who gives every good and perfect gift from above, the Father of lights. What a cool title for God, the Father of lights. This world is absolute darkness, (laughs) And then there's the Father of lights. That actually means the God of stars. The one that has all the power of all the host of heaven and its light, man. There's no variation in him. There's no changing. The Lord does not repent, we're told in Numbers 23, 19. He's not a man that he should change his mind. He's going to honor his word every time. That should give you something to build your life upon a foundation, this is, man, I can trust the Lord. Though the world tries to deceive me, the Lord is not going to be like that. The Lord is good and gives everything that we need, and I love it because he says, it was of his own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you know that God desires that every person would repent? We're told that. And come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what it says in the New Testament. And in Ezekiel eighteen thirty-two, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of one who dies. Turn and live. Jesus says, if anyone looks upon me, they will be saved. And you must be born again to come into the kingdom of heaven according to John 3, 3, amen? That is a gift from God that you could never earn, you could never attain by your works. It is a gift of God and he willed us into it. But again, you have to receive and believe according to John 1:12. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Do you walk in it? Do you stop resisting? It's funny, it's really not a work. Just stop resisting the Lord. Lay down and yield to the Lord's plan for your life. And he's good. You can trust him. And it says, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you know what the word of truth is? <laughs> the word of God. The scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you hear the gospel message that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died in our place upon a cross, but he rose again to prove that he was not lying when he said, if anyone believes in me, he will have eternal life. If he was a liar, he should have stayed dead. But because he never lied, he was perfect. The Lord said, you don't deserve this death. You now resurrect. And everything he ever said was true. Amen. See, when we believe that, it tells us that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. (laughs) That we would be that fresh harvest, that beginning of this work of God, that God would say, man, these people that believe upon me, there's fruit that are coming out of their faith. And it proves that everything the gospel promised is true. Do you know that you're a walking, living testimony of the gospel this morning? See, it's funny. We know that the Word of God is what guides us into the faith and the trust. We need to know the Word. But you're going to often be the first person, the first thing that someone gets gets to encounter in regards to the gift of God that is salvation. Are we living in humility? Are we living with boldness? Are we living with power? Are we living in wisdom that comes from God alone because we're seeking Him for it in faith? What a call to the church this morning, amen? I don't know what you guys have planned for the day. I don't know what else you have going on. (laughs) But I bet a lot of you have an opportunity to be a witness to someone today. May they glorify your Father who is in heaven when they see your good works that come out of your trust in the salvation that you've received from God. I'm excited for the book of James because it is one of the most practical books. Anyone that says, oh, you guys are so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly good. This book is going to show us how to practically live out things here on our temporal time until we are etern- in eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Watch you guys stand with me? I'm coming for the Lord.